0: If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna put it up on the screens. We're starting a new series today called Classic. I even got dressed up in a suit to be classic for this series. Come on now, and uh, we're gonna talk about love. So whether you're single, married, dating, engaged, complicated, awkward, whatever the relationship status is, this series is for you because it's not just limited to the confines of marriage. It's it's open to all of us to grow in our love walk, and Jesus gives a recipe for success. He he tells his disciples, listen, I want you to build something that's going to last, and the title of today's message is Built to Last, Um, having relationships and future marriages and current marriages that are built to last. How many of y'all want to have lasting marriages, lasting relationships God's called you to be in? Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 24, this is the message version, the words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They're not just homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build your life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't actually work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. This morning, I want to give you just some tools that are going to help all of our relationships be built to last. Help us whether we're married, uh, whether you're single. God wants you to have something that's going to last, not just something that's trendy or fashionable or uh, just uh, maybe something that's a fad. He wants you to have a classic love story. And so let's say this together say, I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace, your presence. Lord, continue to move in this place as you have during the worship. Lord, speak to every person here today, those who are new and those who've been here years. God, let us just hear from you. Lord, let us leave today with a change in our life. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Renew our minds, God. Give us that encouragement we need. Lord, I thank you for restoration and healing today and freedom, God, from anything that's holding us back. God, from having lasting love in our life in jesus name everybody said amen Amen. give three people a high five say be classic be classic be classic be classic you know growing up with with two older sisters me and my brother we occasionally got to pick the movies for family movie night but oftentimes my sisters sarah and ruthie they would pick the movies and they would pick classics They would pick movies like Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility or Tammy and the Bachelor, Tammy Tell Me True, Tammy and the Doctor. Uh, They picked movies like My Fair Lady and uh, just some of those old classics. You know what I'm talking about? Those were the things that stood the test of time. In fact, up here today, I've got all the different media music players over the decades. We've got the old radio right here. Then we have another very old radio with a, uh, a record player in it, some records. How many of y'all still have a record player at home? Uh, that was what they used to play the music. Then we uh, transitioned to the cassette players. How many of y'all still use cassette tapes? Come on, somebody. I remember when I switched from the cassette player to my first CD in 1994, I got DC Talk free at last. I was pumping up that jam like every day and I thought I was so cool with CDs. And then in 2002, CDs turned into this small little thing called the iPod. And the iPod, you could fit all your music on How many of y'all uh, got an iPod or now you got music on your phone, which puts all of it on there, kind of did away with CDs, but here's the thing about a classic, a classic will go past all the technological advancements. I think about songs from like the 40s, 50s, 60s, songs like At Last, songs like uh, The Way You Look Tonight, Frank Sinatra still being played every year and all these different uh, devices. One of me and my wife's favorite songs on our wedding day uh, was a song called My Girl. Come on now. I got sunshine heard this song. I know you listen to it. (laughs) Give the band a big hand. I love playing. The worship this morning was so powerful. Thank you so much. But I want to give you the definition for a classic this morning. Here's the definition of classic. It means to stand the test of time. It means not just, you know, temporal, but it's judged over a period of time to be of the highest quality and outstanding of its kind. It's a work of art of recognized and established value. Now what's the opposite of a classic? The opposite is contemporary. Contemporary is good, I like contemporary, but the definition of contemporary is trendy, uh, fashionable, uh, modern, up to the minute, what's hot right now, all about what's current. But here's where contemporary is derived from, it's derived from the word temporal, meaning it's gonna constantly change. I love contemporary, but the problem with contemporary is that it's temporary. Right? And we wanna have a love that's not temporary, but that's lasting. We want classic love stories. We don't want just a marriage that's fun for the honeymoon. We want a marriage that's fun for a lifetime. A marriage that's built to last. Everyone say, built to last. See, these days, falling in love is is so overrated. Falling in love is easy, falling in love just requires a pulse. But staying in love, (laughs) staying in love requires a plan. Falling in love requires a pulse. Anybody can fall in love, but staying in love requires a plan. Jesus told his disciples I want you to have something that's going to last. And we can't find it from the world's standards of of what boundaries around marriage, around sex, around relationships is supposed to look like. The world uh, is going to come up with all kinds of twisted, perverted ways to try and show you what love or sex or marriage is supposed to be. That's why we have movies and books like Fifty Shades of Grey coming out this next week. And uh, let me just give you a word of advice. If you are wanting to stay away from sexual temptation and stay pure and be free from lust and pornography, I don't know if it's a good idea to go see that movie or read that book. (laughs) Don't get up and leave just yet. Here's the key. God wants us to get our boundaries, our standards for what love and marriage is supposed to look like from his word, not from the world. And the world is always going to pervert what's, what's beautiful. God created sex, not the world. So we need to redeem that, bring it back. It's supposed to be worshipful and beautiful in marriage, God's way. And whether you're here today and you, you, you feel like you've messed up, you've blown it, maybe um, you're in your third or fourth marriage, or maybe right now you're just struggling, you're in some sexual temptation, here's the great news, His mercy never fails. It's new every morning, His grace is here today, He's the God not just of second chances, but endless grace, and God wants today, He wants to do something new in your love life. And I don't want you to feel condemned or feel like, man, I just feel like God's finished with me. That's why we say in our confession, God is not finished with me yet. And that's why you're here today. You're in the right place if you're struggling at all in sexual temptation or if you're just having a problem with relationships in your marriage. You are in the right place. But we've got to come back to what does God's word say is going to keep my marriage strong? You know, there's a lot of people who say, well, you've got to have a Christian marriage. Well, Christian marriages have just as much of a divorce rate as worldly marriages. We don't want just a Christian marriage. We want a Christ-centered marriage. Everybody say, Christ-centered marriage. It's one thing for two people to say, I'm a Christian. It's another thing to put Christ at the center of your marriage. It requires a sense of servanthood. It requires a sense of being Christ-like in your love with each other. You know, I think about for me and my wife, uh, we met... Actually, when we were really little, and uh, I just thought, man, she's so pretty. I want to pull her hair. That's what I thought on, on the playground at recess. And uh, over time, we, we started liking each other. And then we had drama all through high school. And y- drama's not good, you know. And that, that, that had to uh, stop. And over time, when I went to college, we weren't talking to each other. We knew each other. Um, but we were in different places. And I remember one day, uh, there was a girl who I thought was kind of pretty, and and I brought her home from college at ORU, and I introduced her to my family, and my dad was kind of looking at me like, who is this girl, you know? And after she left, I was like, Dad, why were you looking at me funny? He's like, well, she's just not like Ashley. And my parents, they were such cheerleaders of Ashley, and I knew deep down inside I was going to one day marry her, but now uh, here we are married in love, staying in love, Building our marriage on the rock. And I want to invite one of my heroes up this morning to talk about a few ways to establish a, a relationship, a marriage that's gonna be built to last. And that hero is Grand Grand. Grandgrand, come on up. She turns 91 this month. She is as sharp as can be. Grandgrand, we're just gonna have a little interview up here, and uh Grand Grand. You are 90 years old, but you turn 91 this, this month in February. She works full-time here at the church. She's going, and uh, we can sit down here. She's got a picture of her and her husband, uh, her late husband, who passed away. But, Gringren, I want you to just share for a moment, how did you and your husband meet?
1: Well, um, you know, growing up, I graduated from high school when I was barely 16, so my folks didn't let me date much in high school, very little. And when I went away to business school and then started to work, I um, was going to work one morning, and I had to go down some steps from the porch of the house I was in. My sister and I was in a one-bedroom apartment in the house. But as I walked down the steps, there was a man just standing there, and uh, he was really good-looking.
0: Come on. He was a uh, doherty.
1: And I'm... uh,
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. That was...
1: What's it, Doherty? You're a good Doherty, too.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Grandma.
1: grand But anyway, I'm very friendly,
0: you know. You were flirty.
1: Well, <laughs> that's what he you said, You caught his too. attention. <laughs> you said the same thing he did. But anyway, all I said was, good morning. And I smiled, and uh, then the rest is history. Come on. <laughs> and here we
0: are today. There they are. And y'all oh, raised great boys, Billy Joe, Jack, Charles, and um, Grand grant to all the married couples in the room, we're gonna to talk to the singles in a minute, but to all the married couples in the room, what advice would you give them? You counsel quite a few married couples coming into the church. Uh, wives and, and husbands will come and just get advice from you. And what, what would you give everyone here today who's in a marriage or about to be in a marriage, advice to have something that's gonna last?
1: Well, I think patience is a real important thing because, um, you know, all of us have these little uh, little things we do. We don't realize how much they can irritate someone, but they do. And I've heard people say, well, he just keeps doing the same thing over and over. And, and it just irritates me. I just, is there any way we can make him stop? Well, <laughs> I tell him, look at yourself. Because sometimes on. you may have something in yourself that's irritating him. And think about how he feels about you. And maybe if you start doing things that you think might irritate him, then he will get better or she will get better.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think in listening to what you're saying is, and you taught this to my dad and who imparted that into us, we have to be uh, humble enough to be introspective instead of always saying other people need to change. If they just changed, right. I'd be happy. We've got to look inside and say, what do I need to change exactly uh, before I try to change somebody else? That's right. It starts, I think that's good wisdom. It starts my grand. here. It starts here. Okay, next question. For the singles, where's the singles at? Stand up if you're a single. Come on now. All the singles, look around, look around, look around. Let's give the singles a big hand today. All right, you can be seated. Grand Grand, what advice would you give singles in the room? And you also had a good word for widows in the room because you've been a widow now for uh, 30 years. And you were sharing something good. 40 years. Share something to the singles and also to those who are widowed in the room.
1: Well, those that are widowed, uh, I know sometimes when a pastor is talking about marriage, you think, well, that doesn't have any effect on me. It doesn't even concern me. Well, it does because you have friends, you have children, you have grandchildren that you can learn from what they're preaching that you can preach to them and help them have a better married life.
0: Amen. Now, to the singles in the room, what would you say to prepare those who are uh, desiring one day to maybe be married or be remarried? What would you share to them today that's going to help them prepare for that?
1: Well, one thing that happened to me was um, as I started dating a young man after I was working. And um, he had a real good, pretty car. He had a job with an oil company. And he took me a lot of places I wouldn't have ever got to go. And we had a good time. And he was beginning to talk about marriage, and so I was praying about it, but just really wasn't, wasn't ready to say yes, but yet I really liked him. And I went home to visit my parents, and when I got back, a friend of mine told me that a mutual friend that she and I had went out with him the, on a date while I was gone.
0: What? Uh-uh. That's right, uh-oh. Player.
1: And I confronted him about it, and he said, oh, that was nothing. I just uh, thought it was your friend, and it'd be okay. I said, no, it was not okay. Quit and we're playing through. games
0: with my heart. And yeah. then
1: I met your granddad.
0: And then you met Mr. <laughs> Doherty.
1: Right, and he did not even have a car. <laughs> but he loved you. But he loved me, his heart. Come and on. I tell you, I have a first date. You want to know about that?
0: Tell me about it. How many of y'all want to know about the first date?
1: <laughs> well, we walked... To a fruit stand and bought some apples.
0: How about them apples?
1: <laughs> they were good. <laughs> and there's one more thing I would like to say to the singles, if it's yeah, okay. say it. Yes, uh, ma'am. Sorry. When you do get ready to get married and get married, don't go out and think you have to have everything that your friend has to start off with, or your sister or brother might have. Be satisfied. With what you can afford. Because I just heard one of the couples up here say their argument was about money. So just buy what you can afford to start off with.
0: That's good, Grand Grand. You know, one more thing. You touched on prayer. And I think it's so important whether we're single or married, prayer is essential to a marriage that's gonna last, relationships that are gonna last. You prayed, uh, even with the guy who was trying to get you before okay. Mr. Doherty, uh, you prayed and you knew from God this is not. Uh, I'm not ready for this. God has not released this yet. And then even when Mr. Doherty started pursuing you, you prayed about that as well. And you felt a peace from God. So maybe say something on that for those who at times can rush based on their emotions into a decision.
1: That's right. Well, yes, I prayed about both of them. The first one, I was really praying because I couldn't get peace when he would want me to marry him. He even talked about buying the ring. But uh, I said, God, just show me. If there's anything in him that would not make a good husband or just show me if I'm not supposed to marry him. And then when naturally he showed me right then when I got back and uh, found out he had gone out with my girlfriend.
0: Come on. Well, God will show you when you pray and ask God, he'll speak to you. He wants to speak, but oftentimes we're not listening and praying. And so that's so important. Would you give Grand Grand a big hand? Thank you so much, Grand Grand and obey. Say it it one more time.
1: Not only just listen, but obey what he tells you.
0: Amen, amen, amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. I think it's a good place to look on foundational ways to build something that's going to last. Foundations for a marriage that'll be built to last. Relationships that will last. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, and I encourage you this month, there's 20 days left in this month, Read 1 Corinthians 13, whether you're single or married, read it by yourself every single day. You might say, well, Paul, I've already read that many times. You need to get that inside you, thinking about what does love look like from God's point of view? What does love, how am I supposed to love? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is patient. The message version says love never gives up. In other words, it has a forbearance. It doesn't just get easily uh, turned off. And here's the problem with our generation. We are a microwave generation who serves a crockpot God. We, we want it instantly. We want something. We want the results immediately. We want somebody to hurry up. God, why am I not married yet? God, why haven't they changed yet? Why isn't our marriage like this yet? It takes time to build a classic. It takes time to have a classic love story. You have to have patience. It says love is not just patient, but love cares more for others than for self. You know, my parents taught me that one of the most important things for a marriage to, to last is selflessness. It, it's something that's missing from so many relationships today because we have a me first mentality. It says love doesn't, wait, love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. In other words, love isn't prideful. Saying, I know it all. I got all the answers. I told you so. It doesn't have that kind of an attitude. Love doesn't force itself on others. All isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. In other words, love is not getting easily frustrated, irritated, angered by people. You know, I think about how all of these areas deal with attitude. Everyone say attitude. Attitude Attitude determines altitude. Here's, here's the reason why this message is for all of us is because all of us have an attitude. And if we don't work on our attitude now, we're going to go into relationships. And for those who are married, God still wants control of your attitude. Just because you got married doesn't mean the love story is over. God wants the pen. He wants to be the author of your love story from the start to the finish. He doesn't want you just saying, well, it's over now. I met her or I met him and now it's done. No, no. God wants to have control of your attitude because he knows your attitude will determine the altitude of your relationship. It will determine the longevity of your marriage. We have to work on our attitudes. It says love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best. Love never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. That's good stuff right there. We need to be reminded what kind of love God wants us to have, to have something that's going to last. You know, I think about how the opposite of a lot of these things is present today in marriages, in relationships. And I want to give you a few toxic attitudes to be uh, careful about not letting those develop in your life. Maybe you're here today and you might have one of these attitudes I'm about to mention. But these attitudes, they will try to destroy the relationships or the marriage, uh, potential marriage or the current marriage that you're in. One of the first attitudes I want to deal with is the finger-pointer attitude. This right here. If he just changed, if you just would just mature, if you would just grow up, if you would just do what I'm asking you to do, then we would have a happy, healthy marriage. If you just did this, I remember one guy was pointing his finger at me a few years ago when I first started preaching on Saturday nights and Man, he just didn't like anything about me. Didn't like uh, the clothes that I wear. He didn't like uh, the messages I would preach. And he would point his finger and say, if you were more like your dad, do all these kinds of stuff. And I I was hurt by it. I remember going home just thinking, man, he's right. All these things are wrong with me. I'm so flawed. I'm so messed up. But then one night, I was at a restaurant. He didn't see me. And I was sitting behind the booth that he was sitting beside his wife in. And I realized he was just reaming his wife, just pointing his finger at his wife. It wasn't all about me. It was an attitude in him that he carried into his marriage with other people. He was constantly finding flaws in everybody else except for himself. And here's what I would say to the finger pointer attitude in the room. Turn it around and say, what in me needs to change so I'm not always telling everybody else how wrong they are? Something is wrong about that attitude. And it's a recipe for a destructive marriage and a destructive, miserable life. Another attitude that could rob you, a toxic attitude, is an entitlement attitude. Entitled people, they're the kind of people who say, Well, I deserve this. I worked hard for you to do what you need to do for me. I wash the dishes, I clean the clothes, I take care of the kids, I deserve this. And that's a kind of way, that's that's a setup for an entitled marriage back and forth. Always demanding. Always, you gotta do this. I'm entitled to this. But see, when we look at the way Jesus loved, and I think that's what we need to look at this whole series, how did Jesus love? Jesus was not an entitlement attitude. Entitled people, it's really selfishness. It's all about what I get, what I earn. But when I think about the grace of God, none of us deserve this. None of us earned this. It was God's free gift. For Jesus, he wasn't about what he was entitled to. He was about serving those people around him, right? He got on his knees and he began to wash his disciples' feet in John 13. And his disciples said, Jesus, why are you showing us servanthood love? Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to serve each other because that's how the world is going to know the proof and the evidence that you belong to me. How many of us have gotten into an entitlement mentality, whether it's in church, in relationships, with our roommates, with our spouse. It's time for us to move away from that. It's toxic. Another toxic attitude that will try to rob you of, of a happy, uh, loving, healthy life is a bitter attitude. Just bitter. Just holding on to what they did. Well, Paul, I just can't let go of that. Well, preacher, I hear what you're saying, but they, just, they hurt me too bad. And I, I will never let go of what they did to me. I will never forgive them for that one thing they did. Here's the thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did was okay. It just sets you free from the bondage and the prison of trapping yourself in a life of miserable bitterness. When you choose to forgive, number one, when you decided to follow Jesus, you gave up your rights to be bitter. So anyone who says, I believe in Jesus, but carries a chip on their shoulder towards their spouse or everybody else... They're not really living out what it means to believe and follow Jesus. You gave up your rights to stay bitter at other people. And listen, you need mercy just as much as they need mercy. I remember listening to Dr. Rutland. One time he was speaking uh, over at ORU and he said, I realized at, at a young age, looking back, he said, I wish I would have lived more mercy minded. I carried a list of wrongs about how everybody had hurt me. People in ministry, pastors, other leaders, even my spouse. He said, I just carried this list. And even though the list wasn't you know, a physical list, it was in my mind. I just rehearsed all the times that they irritated me, frustrated me, made me mad, hurt me, did something wrong against me. And he said, I literally carried a chip on my shoulder. And it was robbing me of the joy and the health of having, uh, of having classic relationships. I want to just encourage you to forgive, let it go. Uh, Okay, two more. One one attitude that can rob us is the stiff-necked attitude. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I can't have any fun. I can't loosen up or lighten up. I am religiously, strictly stiff-necked. And here's the stiff-necked attitude. It's that you can't loosen up. You can't lighten up. You can't enjoy yourself around other people or be out of your comfort zone. It's like you are so stiff-necked about how things are supposed to be that in your marriage, in your relationship, your spouse is trying to get you to have fun, trying to get you to loosen up, do something new, go on a new kind of date, and you're sitting there just stiff-necked, stuck in how it has to be your way all the time. And God told the Israelites that they were a stiff-necked generation in the wilderness. He said, you guys... You are so stuck on Egypt, you're complaining about all the new things I'm trying to bring you into. You are so stuck on how it used to be, you can't embrace the new thing I'm trying to do. And to the stiff-necked attitude in the room, I would say, loosen up. Have fun. Following Jesus is not meant to be miserably uh, sad and pharisaically religious. It's meant to be a joyful journey. Some of us, when we come into church, we look like we're walking into a funeral. We look like we could be the cover girl for the book of Lamentations. (laughs) We are so stiff-necked that we can't laugh and have fun in God's presence. The last uh, toxic attitude I want to touch is the impatient. The impatient. Grand Grand touched on this. In order to have relationships, marriages that are built to last, it requires patience. Patience. It takes work just letting God... Do His work in other people and in yourself. Being patient means having forbearance. Giving people room to grow. I'm so thankful that my mom has given me room to grow, that she doesn't just always pick apart all my flaws after every sermon or every week. I'm grateful that my parents have given me room to grow, just patience, just allowing other people who, who may not be as mature as you to mature. And instead of getting frustrated and angry and saying, I'm done with you, I don't want to have a relationship with you, having that patience to put up with other people's flaws, irritations, that's what, that's what builds something that's going to last. You know, I want us to look real quickly towards the end here. Uh, At a woman in the Bible, one of my favorite love stories is the story of Ruth. We talked about what not to have. I want to give you two things to have that could build something that would last. And it comes from Ruth's story. Ruth is a book in the Bible right after Judges, right before 1 Samuel. And it's a story about a girl who was married in the beginning of the book, but her husband dies. She's uh, the daughter-in-law of a woman named Naomi. And in the same year that Ruth's husband dies... uh, The other son uh, of Naomi, Naomi had two sons, they both die in the same year. So here Ruth is left with her mother-in-law all by herself. The mother-in-law has also lost her husband, so she's all alone. Ruth is a young woman. And Naomi turns to Ruth and the other daughter-in-law, who some people think was Oprah, but it was actually Orpah. and, And she looks at Ruth and Orpah and she says, hey girls, go on with your life. You are young. There is someone out there that that you can get married to. You don't need to stay with me. There is nothing here for you with me. Well, Orpah says, okay, yeah, I should probably go. But Ruth does this one thing. I want us to look real quick at Ruth chapter 1, uh, verse 14. Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. I think we're going to put it up there. This is what it says. Verse 16. Ruth says, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God, till death do us part. I want the band to come up because this is so important. Ruth cultivated a spirit of loyalty before she ever got married, remarried. Ruth cultivated a spirit of faithfulness and commitment before she ever said, I do. Here she was, a single, widowed woman, and she could have gone on with her life, but instead she said, Naomi, I want to I wanna be beside you. I want to help you. I- I'm going to be faithful. I know there's nothing for me to gain, and the real test for faithfulness is when there's nothing for you to gain. That's when you really know you're being faithful, is when you can't get anything out of that other person or situation. That's the test of faithfulness. That's the kind of classic love that we need today. See, classic love stories require classic truths. And the classic truths can't be found in Fifty Shades of Grey. Can't be found in whatever pop song is out there today. It's only found in God's Word. That's where we're going to find the truths that build something that's going to last. Beyond all the sexual pleasures. Beyond all the other stuff that the world says this is, what's, this is what you need to have a happy, healthy marriage. Listen, I, I believe in that. But I also believe one of the keys to having something that lasts found in God's word is faithfulness. Number one, Ruth cultivated a spirit of faithfulness. Number two, Ruth cultivated a spirit of selflessness. Those two things we're going to walk away with today. Faithfulness and selflessness. Faithfulness, a commitment, a loyalty to Naomi. Selflessness, she served Naomi. Look at Ruth chapter two, verse one. It happened that Naomi had a relative named Boaz. See, Ruth waited for her Boaz. You need to wait for your Boaz. You don't want to get Boaz's cousins. Don't make me go there. One day, Ruth, the Moabite foreigner, said to Naomi, I'm going to work. Man, isn't that an awesome epiphany right there? Someone's going to work. It requires work to have a good marriage and a healthy love life. She said, I'm going to work. I'm going to go out and I'm going to look among the sheaves and I'm going to uh, go and glean and follow after the harvesters who may treat me kindly. What she was saying was, Naomi, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to work enough to put meals on the table for you. I don't want you to have to go out in the fields. Let me do that for you. What was Ruth doing? She was cultivating a spirit of selflessness. It's not about me, Naomi. Let me serve you. Naomi saying, Ruth, I got nothing to give you. I have no more sons. It's okay, Naomi. I'm here to serve you. Man, that's the key to a lasting marriage is selflessness. Lord, let us be selfless husbands, selfless wives, selfless singles. God, help us to be focused on serving you and serving others. That's the key. You're here right now and maybe you've messed up. I just truly believe the Holy Spirit is in the room today to heal and restore. Maybe you've struggled with faithfulness. Maybe you're right now, Being tempted, God's saying, I have a plan to change your heart. I want to interrupt whatever you're going through right now. Whatever temptation you're facing, that adultery, whatever it is that's trying to rob and wreck your marriage, whatever toxic things are trying to come at you, God brought you here today, not on accident, but on purpose. To meet you at the cross. To say there's room for whatever you're going through. Your mess can be a message. Your test can be a testimony. Your marriage that looks like it's uh, on the rocks right now can get back on the rock. Your marriage can be healed and restored today. But here's the key. Getting in God's word. Getting those attitudes in you. Faithfulness. Selflessness. Saturating yourself in God's presence. I heard a story about a guy named Ed. Ed. And his wife, Florine. And the story moved me so much. It's such a powerful story. Most of y'all probably have never heard of Ed Hale or Florine Hale. Last year, they both went to heaven. They had been married 62 years. That's an amazing thing today. That's a rarity today. That's a classic love story. There they are right there, Ed and Florine Hale. But here's what makes their story so special. Ed, a week before Valentine's Day had a leg injury, and at age 82, had to go into the hospital. While he was in the hospital, the leg injury uh, progressed to something much worse. And they said, Ed, you only have hours left to live. Ed said, please, go, go get my wife. I, I want to see her. As they were going to get his wife, he began to recall when he first met Flo. 1952, he was at a county dance, and he locked eyes with Florine, and he knew she was the one. The interesting thing was she was in a wheelchair at the dance. Her friends were dancing, but she was sitting there. and He he wanted to find out about her. She had been in an accident just the year before with her previous husband who was killed head-on in a car accident. She was paralyzed, and the doctor said, You're going to need someone to take care of you for the rest of your life. Every hour of the day, you're going to need a caretaker. She was only 20 years old, and here she was, paralyzed in this state of life. Ed was so in love with her. He asked her parents, could I please marry your daughter, Florine? They said, absolutely not. You can't take care of her. You don't have what it takes to be able to take care of her every hour of the day. He promised them. He said, I'm not leaving this house. I refuse to leave until you let me. Give me permission to marry your daughter. They were convinced and persuaded that he would take care of her. So the following weeks, they gave him permission. They got married. They described to their kids that their love story was a fairy tale, it was a romance. He was by her side every day. People called Ed a saint, the way he took care of her, day and night. He would help Florine and later on she was able to walk. As he was recalling all of these moments, the nurses came back in the room and they said, Ed, you're not going to believe this, but your wife has been hospitalized too. She's in another hospital in Rochester. He was in a hospital that was miles away, a different city, right there in New York. And they said, there's just no way we can get you to go see her. He said, I have to see her. I have to see her. I promised. I made a promise I would take care of her. And so the nurses began scrambling around, trying to find a way to get him to his wife, Flo. They were able to get him in an ambulance and whisk him away to the other hospital. As he was going to the other hospital, Florine was in her deathbed. She was dying there. They told Flo, you only have a few hours left to live yourself. She thought Ed had already died. She told her daughter, who was by her bedside, he's he's already gone. As she was saying that, he rolled into the room in his wheelchair and they brought a bed right beside Flo. They sat them right beside each other and she began to cry. She said, Edward, don't ever leave me again. He was breathing just two breaths per minute. It was crazy medically that he was able to still be alive. He said, Flo, I can't take it anymore. I love you. I made a promise to you." He then grabbed hands right there in the hospital bed, across beds, both dying the week before Valentine's, being married 62 years. She went right into heaven just a few minutes after holding hands with him. The daughter leaned over into the daddy's ear. She said, Daddy, you can go to heaven now. Mom's waiting for you. He began to cry. I made a promise. I made a promise. He didn't really understand that she was already gone. I made a promise. I'm going to be beside her. I'm going to take care of her. Just a few hours after she died, Ed went on to heaven. They were both Christians. They lived their lives committed to each other. The night before Valentine's, on Valentine's Eve, they had a joint funeral. And At that funeral, friends and family members came around just recalling Ed's commitment to flow. That is a classic love story. I want us to stand to our feet right now.